your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan, following Everton's 1-1 draw at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. The very definition of smash and grab. They get one point in a match where they were basically overwhelmed from start to finish, but fortunately a goal from Jared Branthwaite off of a delivery from Anthony Gordon on a set piece was enough to get the point. Before we get started, I just want to ask and remind everyone to please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice if you enjoy it. Also, please follow us on social media. You can find all of our links at linktr.ee slash Pod and join our Discord, which you can find at invite.gg slash ATP. Now with that, let's go to instant match reactions, and we'll go to Alex first. Honestly, it was a really good result. I I was texting buddies beforehand, like 6-0, if we're lucky, possibly. I think it played out kind of how we expected. Um, lots of good appearances from youngsters in general, which is positive as usual. Some decent amount of bad performances as well. Um, James, how about your instant match reaction? We don't hear from you often in this department. Thrilled with the result. Unsurprised by the underlying performance. When we saw the lineup, it was borderline comical, which we'll talk about shortly. Didn't think in a million years that we would be even in the game at halftime, much less tied at full time. So I'm going to be very thankful for the point, um, but it's not swaying me in any sort of positive direction on the, the overall trajectory of the club. I think people are being wooed far too easily by what was a performance where we had 19% possession and were absolutely dominated in every respect, but I'll throw it over to Ryan for more happy, uplifting perspective. Objectively speaking, we were totally dominated in every facet of the game and our peeper played really, really well. True. This is true. I mean, the, and the numbers say it. I mean, to, to a point of not just it was a bad game for us, meaning as it may have been the most chances we've given up in, in terms of volume and quality in the last five years, it was that one-sided. Not one was a penalty either. I mean, statistically it is, but we'll get into that in a second. So it was, it was absolute annihilation. Um, a lot of character there too, but I, I think I, I've never been too upset with the character and the effort of this team, honestly, I, I think they have plenty of character and effort. Um, they're not the brightest bunch sometimes, but, um, you know, maybe last week there were some concerns about that. But no, I mean, it's nice to see the young guys come in and contribute as well, too. But it, it was a very fortunate result. And I, I wish I could say otherwise. Well, we did have a couple score predictions similar to Alex texting his buddies pre-match in the discord. We had a whole lot of six nails, seven nails, ten nails three ones one person optimistically predicted a 2-1 loss which says a lot of the state of the fan base but we did have better late and never predict the 1-1 draw as well as our resident fans forum and friend of the show representative tony sampson whose recurring bit of predicting a 1-1 draw every <laughs> single match has at last paid off as he was correct he also correctly predicted that we would have less than 25 percent possession which we dutifully adhered to uh, to a man, to a T uh, with 19%. But let's wind it back because we go to the lineup dropping. And as I mentioned earlier, it was an uproar on Everton Twitter. People were astounded at the lineup we were putting out. There was a great clip of Ped from Toffee TV 
just laughing and crying uh, based on the team we would field against the reigning champions of Europe. Alex, let's talk through the lineup a little bit. Yeah, so as you said, it was pretty surprising in general. Um, and, you know, moving into the match, we knew post-Crystal Palace that Richarlison, Townsend, and Coleman all picked up injuries, and that was said in the pre- pre-match press conference. We also saw that Alon missed out due to injury as well. Um, so that meant a lot of wholesale changes, especially some names that we maybe didn't expect. Those include John Joe Kenny at right back. Jared Branthwaite came in for his first appearance for Everton this season specifically. Alex Iwobi came in up front or on the right-hand side. And Sims, Ellis Sims, made his Premier League debut up top for Everton, in which many in the Everton Twitter sphere have been yelling for for about two years now because optimism is key. Now, I think when you saw that lineup, it was always going to be a 5-4-1 based on the personnel specifically, right? I mean, five, five defenders straight up. The interesting points were being that, you know, Seamus Coleman and Alon still made the bench. So that kind of tells you that, um, you know, the injuries may not be too long term. However, as we noted, we did not expect Gray or Rondon to miss out. So that kind of begs the question, where is Damari Gray? Which is pretty alarming in my opinion. But what is the most alarming? And we kind of knew it heading into uh, the match today based on the pre-match press conference. Rafa said that Lucas Dean was previously training well, and then all of a sudden on Thursday, yesterday, he said that he was sick and was not going to be able to participate in the match. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. However, he did not make the 18. And I'm going to be honest, gentlemen, my first thought was, when I saw the lineup drop past all of the new names, it was, is Lucas Dean gone in January? What do we think based on the lineup? Is that what he said? I thought what he said was that he said he was ill. That was yesterday. And then Rafa continued on to say he's not going to be available. I, I think a lot of people immediately jumped and said that I'm sick and I'm not going to be able to play in the game 48 hours from now. I, I think that's a bit of a leap. I don't know if that's really what happened. So I, that's, I just wanted to say that because it seemed that a lot of people were critical of what he said. And first of all, no one's heard from Dean yet either. So I love how we can just assume how that conversation went because Rafa is so... So objective when he talks about things, especially when he talks in pressers. So in all in all seriousness, I, I don't so I don't really know what happened there, but I think it's fairly obvious at this point he's out of favor. I know Dean is not happy. I've heard that from other people too. Um if he's gone in January, I mean <laughs> that would be a real shame. It's not a good time to sell an asset like this. Um I don't know, but some of the rumors of incomings, and uh, we'll get to that maybe in a future pod, the player himself is interesting, I would say. Would you not agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's these weird narratives going around about Luca Dean, which we've refuted a lot on this show. No question that he's one of our top three players. I don't think anyone would argue that um, just based on his, his ability, his resume, everything. But we also know that Rafa is infamous with uh, for falling out with star players. There's been a number of articles that have come out in the last week, one in The Athletic, I think one in maybe The Daily Mail, that talked about all of the infamous falling out, fallings out that Rafa has had. And so when you contrast that with, well, how many managers has Luka Dean previously fought with? And the answer is none that we know of, none publicly that we're aware of. I think you can make your own, draw your own conclusions there as to what's really driving this. Um, and it's apparently one man's stubbornness. So I agree with Ryan. It would be devastating to to have him leave in January. I don't think that Everton need to sell him, but if the manager wants him out, 
then Rafa will get his way because right now his sway over footballing operations appears to be virtually total. He's got total control from from everything that we understand, barring Farhad Mashiri. Yeah, I mean, it's the perfect storm with, with our financial fair play um, regulations and, and being kind of hamstrung by um, our our possible or, or sliver of a um, possible net spend in general, right, too. So with that, I mean, letting Dean go, using the excuse that maybe it's it's not the it's not the uh, locker room that you'd like to um, kind of build upon based on attitude alone, you know, it's not ideal at all. And I think that we should retain him, but I guess we'll see. Uh, you can't. Ryan, I think it's a massive mistake to let a manager who has absolutely unchecked power right now make any sort of transfer decisions. Who the heck's scouting these guys? Your head scout just left. Your head analyst is out. What are you talking about? You know, who is scouting this? We all know he has his own shadow staff out there. Those guys are not Everton employees. And no offense. I mean, the whole point of the model of the DOF model is that managers tend to favor the short term. We've already seen this happen once before. The man whose name shall not be named, although both of you two have said his name on this podcast, I'd like to mention. Guilty. I have not. <laughs> yes. Um, the point is, we saw what happened. He went short term and it was disastrous. And uh, I don't think ever tended to do that. Um, he's been linked with uh, Michaelenko, uh, Dynamo Kiev, uh, that we can, we'll talk about in a little more detail in a future pod. Some strange things coming out of there saying it's virtually done. Alex, is that what was reported? That seems odd. I saw to Yeah, I mean, he, I saw today that their manager, it may be fake. I just saw it on Twitter that their manager said that he's off to Everton, which came out of nowhere. This rumor kind of came out of nowhere and is frankly bizarre. He's a well-known player. I mean, it's not like he's right. you know, not that. I mean, most people kind of know him uh, to some extent and he wouldn't be necessarily cheap either, but that's a ridiculous turnaround, by the way. And that that's something that just, <laughs> I don't understand that at all. But anyway, um, I don't know. Any last thoughts on this? I mean, it's, it's, it, my biggest concern about Benitez is, is not the current team's performance. It's continuing on with his style of play. And, you know, we'll do some stuff in his recruitment, I think, too, in the future. I think that'd be interesting. But that concerns me, you know, having him spend anything in January. Well, let's circle back. All right, Ryan. On. So why don't you, why don't you walk us through Chelsea's lineup? Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. Chelsea's, uh, been in, uh, three, four, two, one. They've been playing with three in the back, and typically Thiago Silva kind of steps up and dominates the ball a lot, and him and Jorginho pass it around, and they definitely did today like it was a drill. Um, but you keep in mind, they were missing a lot of players, too. So they're missing Lukaku, Timo Warner, uh, hudson Adoy. Those guys were all out due to COVID. I don't know if Havertz is one of those because he was a little banged up. I think he was, too. But, I mean, those are four, three in particular massive players, all three of which would probably be you know, you're, you're most likely candidates to play center forward. And I think the match played out very much that way. I mean, imagine you put Lukaku's presence in the middle. I think the, the outcome would have been very different. Um, and then I think the tactical setups across the way were very interesting. I mean, Chelsea looked like they were doing kind of what they normally do with the exception of some different personnel. I mean, Pulisic was playing up top almost as a false nine, dropping back in the midfield, roaming out around a lot. Mount was pushed up higher on the right side, almost like a striker. And Hakim Ziyech was all over the place. Um, yeah, I mean, our setup was the way you described it too, Alex, was 5-4-1, especially in the final third. When we were in kind of the middle of the, f of the field, you saw Awobi and Gordon each kind of push up on 
Rudiger and Espilicueta, uh, depending on who had the ball, you know, and we still saved compact on the back end and dropped back, but that was kind of a little bit of a different wrinkle. You saw Andre push up a bit and Decoria at times. I thought their timing was awful. They were bypassed constantly, Andre especially. He did make some tackles, like his aggressiveness paid off a couple times, but basically Jorginho was just passing it by him like it was a drill. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the numbers are pretty damning. I mean, Tiago Silva had 161 touches. Oh, my God. And a 95.9% pass rate. That's ridiculous. They only, they at one point from the 18th minute to the 82nd, they had one dispossession. I mean, it got just kind of, kind of silly. But when, when you look at the average positions, Ruben lost his cheek, which I do not understand his, his continued inclusion in the side when you have guys like Saul on the bench. Um, he was kind of, you know, moving over to the right and they kind of leaned and attacked most of the time over, over to the right. And um, Reese James, I think, is a very good player. He was higher up there and providing the width on that side. And it was tough. I mean, Ben Godfrey and, and Jared Brinkworth had a had a difficult job. And I know a lot of people really liked how JB played today. I don't deny that he wasn't good. But him and Godfrey were bypassed several times and under siege at certain points. Yeah, and then further you look at the attack methods, the sides. When Everton did attack, which was not very often, as illustrated by some of the stats previously and some that will come. It was basically down the left almost almost exclusively. I think this is maybe the most lopsided Everton have been this season. All down that the may left. Also be, that may have also been because they were attacking down that right. side. I mean, it's so few times we touched it, it might just look that way. But sure. I, I did feel like we were funneling everyone onto the left. I mean, Gordon was really had a lot more freedom to attack than I think John Joe and, and Alex Wolf. Yeah, did. absolutely. I mean, you had Gordon and Godfrey, who I would say probably better at getting forward in tandem than Kenny and Awobi. Kenny's just not, frankly, very mm-hmm. great at getting forward. But either way, didn't have the opportunity to, and you're right. Even Chelsea attacked uh, 37% down their right, our left. So you saw that back-and-forth exchange there. And then the shots, I mean, do I don't even know how much we need to go into this, but Everton created very little, obviously. Meanwhile, Chelsea had a, uh, 70% of their shots inside the 18, and some good chances from outside the box as well. Meanwhile, 60% of our shots came from outside the box. Um, So pretty, pretty ugly there. And we'll move into the timeline now, which was also very ugly. And we won't go into too many details because we don't just want to rehash the litany of Chelsea chances. But I think you break down the game into phases and you start to see some pretty interesting and unsurprising maybe trends. Yeah, I mean, from the outset, right? We saw the we saw the defensive um, shape in the five four one that we talked about, and immediately it was complete domination by Chelsea, right? I mean, in the I think it was the sixth minute, right? Mason Mount gets in behind, or was it? No, it was Reese James. It was Reese James that gets in behind and kind of shanks it off target, right? It was the side netting, and you're thinking right there, it's one zero. Overarching point being, you know, Pickford had four saves in the first fifteen minutes. So you're sitting there thinking already, I know how this is going to go. It felt more than that. You know, there were so many passes that either went by or when you saw someone break through. Then when Mason Holgate got that yellow in the 21st, I mean, God, he was done so badly a couple times. You thought, oh, man, there's no way he's going to stay on the pitch. But it just kind of went on and on like this for a long time. I mean, even in the first 42 minutes... Chelsea outshot Everton 13-1, to and they had six shots on target. 
90% pass rate. Ours was 60, over 80% possession. I mean, and then we got to half, and I think everyone was kind of shaking our heads like, how on earth did that happen? Understats XG, um, 2.03 to 0.03 at half. And it felt like it. In fact, I would almost argue that two is a low number. It'll be very interesting to see what stats bomb comes out. They're definitely the more superior um, method. But, I mean, that's literally creating nothing from our end. And I, I think, frankly, Pickford was just fantastic. And I think he kept us in the game. Would you guys agree? 100%. Pickford was incredible today. I think he finished with nine saves. And you're right. The 2.03 XG felt pretty f- generous to Everton. And you take away just the shots that they had. The the complete... Alex said last episode of Ans Palace, we were chasing shadows. You want to talk about chasing shadows? We were oh. all over the place in the first half. I mean, Mason Holgate, when he got completely left in the dust by, I think it was Ziyech, um, on that turn, and then a couple fouls, totally out of position. We just looked like we had not a prayer of getting a tackle in. And, of course, we eventually... Game got a little physical, and Chelsea ended up picking up a couple of yellow cards later on, but that was a comprehensive domination by the reigning European champions, and you really didn't feel like there was any possible way that Everton had hope. It felt like a matter of not if, but when Chelsea would score, and then we would maybe fold, and it could get really ugly really quick. I mean, it felt like one of those freestyle games, you know, where guys are just doing tricks the whole time. I mean, Ziyech did this, like, Maradona pass. They had the uh, back heel, that back heel yeah, shot. Pulisic almost made it a shot off the back heel, which is just absolutely ludicrous. I mean, it was, I, you know, and, and part of that, too, is, I mean, we're playing a new formation, a new system. Uh, it's hard sometimes to keep five players in a line. And we were attacking somewhat with the wingbacks. I mean, they did have some license to go forward, even if they didn't. But when you're back in your final third, it's five guys in a row. So it's very easy to have one person a little deeper to play people on. And we saw that a couple times for sure. But I I don't think anyone, I think the attitude, at least I had going into the second half was not, you know, if we were going to get battered kind of when, um, the second half started a little bit similar to the first, but eventually we kind of grew in the game a little bit. I mean, Alex, uh, what was your take? Yeah, I mean, it, it was very similar, right? Especially in the start. And there wasn't much to say about it in general. However, we saw a change in the 62nd minute, which I think is a, an important talking point. We saw Lewis Dobbin come on, which everyone's been screaming for, just like Ellis Sims. Um, me personally, I thought we might have seen a Wobi come off. I know that Dobbin is pretty good coming in from the wing. Maybe not the right-hand side. Things can change. But we saw him come on for Sims. Probably the smarter option, right? Sims just making his first Premier League debut. It's the 60-something minute. However, this seemed to kind of change how we approached the match, right? Sims was definitely playing more as a hold-up center forward. Whereas Dobbin, we know for sure, brings a lot more pace and ability, maybe trickery. He's definitely the one that's going to be trying to get in behind the line, which we saw constantly. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how you know our, our, our play changed once Dobbin came on for Sims. I agree, because ultimately you had Sims, uh, maybe a bigger, more powerful, more mature target guy would have had maybe some sex, success down the middle against Thiago Silva, who's not a huge guy. He's strong, but you know he's more of a ball player. But you know when he went out to the right, Rudiger kind of took care of him. Um, but I do think the way they go through their buildup, they really spread out their their center halves wide and kind of use Jorginho to fill in the gaps. And and I think having Dobbin in there willing to make runs into those channels, I think was helpful. And I think it, it 
gave them a little bit of concern. You know, put a little more pace on the, on the pitch, so probably helped a little bit defending because Sims looks like he was chasing shadows at times. Uh, he was trying to chase Jorginho at times and just wasn't wasn't happening, and he was overwhelmed. You know, I mean, kudos. I'm glad that he got in. That was nice. But, I mean, it's a little bit folly thinking that he was going to be able to kind of step in and be particularly effective. I mean, he's barely fit and hasn't played at a high level. So I, I think it did help. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think it changed the game. I think, as you said, Ryan, over his head is a really good descriptor for how Ellis Sims played. He had a couple decent moments. I mean, he is a big body, and so he did win a couple balls in the air, um, a couple nice touches to retain possession, however briefly. But it was always a big ask for the kid to come in against this opposition and really make an impact but he and he's just he's slow right he's similar to similar build to rondon and that he's not gonna be able to get around and pressure very much so dobbin coming on was really good to see did change the game i don't know how much it affects you know the long-term prospects for dobbin at the club but he he was certainly impactful and you could see how dramatically um the, the dramatic change in pace he was able to pressure he was running full tilt for pretty much his entire cameo appearance, and it was encouraging, if nothing else. We needed that. Our, our guys were exhausted. You know what I mean? You saw a lot of lost balls. Yeah. Andre was beat. You know, he's not overly fit. Awobi was doing a lot on defense. He, I mean, sometimes he gets sloppy with the ball anyway, but I think that probably contributed to some of it at the end. Um, so, yeah, I think it helped, too. Right after Andre Gomes gets the yellow, a least surprising event ever, <laughs> and then Chelsea, I, at this point, it did seem like Chelsea wasn't really creating the same amount. I thought they lost a lot of their movement. I thought what was key to their first half was Ziyech and Pulisic and their movement. So I, I thought Barkley coming in and Saul coming in, you forget that Saul's even on this team, which is kind of amusing. Uh, I don't think Ruben Lostachis is a particularly great player other than one kind of spectacular dribble. I, I don't think he was incredibly effective. I don't think Ross Barkley's your answer, though, and that goes to show that they're a little bit hurt on injuries, too. Go ahead. Ross the Rat. I just wanted to get that in there. Bang. <laughs> Lay it in there. So I, I think this may have helped kind of temporarily. It's hard to argue that it didn't pay off immediately with the result. Um, but, I, you know, after this, I don't think it did much. So finally, in the 69th minute, Chelsea finally break through. Mason Mount had six shots on the match, four on target, basically playing a second striker, finally finishes one. Nothing pick I think could do about this. It's a tough angle, but it's he's walking in. He smokes it, beats him on the near post, but up high. He's not saving that sucker, and predictably, probably deservedly, it's 1-0. Um, but then things got really, really interesting, and I just did not see them um, kind of going in this direction. But the goal was inevitable. I mean, Alex, yes, goal was inevitable, right? Yeah, but I I have to rag on Godfrey for it for a little bit, right? If you check it, and I'm going to be honest, through the first half specifically, and I think it wasn't that sixth-minute chance, whoever it was, that slid in through in behind, right? He's he's caught ball-watching, and he's caught flat-footed in this moment. He's flat-footed, but he's also far too central to be the left wing back, right? And Mason Mount's right there, and it's just a foot race. And I'm going to be honest, Godfrey's known for being absolutely rapid, so how does he get beat so quickly in just like a five yard span? I'm not sure. So I, I I can't. I mean, it was it was coming. It was deserved for Chelsea and and specifically probably even for Mason Mount. To be honest, he could have had a hat trick by then. Yeah. Um, I think even the commentator said that. But I think that Godfrey could have done a lot better, and I think he could have a lot done a lot better in, in this match in general. He had a couple I, runs forward, but other than that, no. I think it, it, look, it's a it's a harder. I mean, that's a different position. People are going to argue and say this thing, stuff doesn't matter, but it matters. It's a different position. 
playing out wide in a five is very different than playing even just in a four, especially as a defensive fullback. And I think just the shape along with a, a, a central midfielder in front of you that's might as well not be there. Um, it's a big difference. And, and Brantway's a kid. You know, he's very young. They're both inexperienced players. So I'm not entirely surprised that they found some opportunities playing through them in both the wide and the more central channel. Not entirely surprised about that at all. Um, and I have a feeling one of the reasons why uh, Benitez finally brings in JPG to come in for Andre, that was probably one of the reasons. You know what I mean? And I, I look, he did nothing with the ball. He lost it a couple times. But I actually thought our shape looked a little bit better. I and mean, we only gave up three shots from the 71st minute on. Now, I'm not declaring that was just because of Bameen. Um, but they sat a little deeper, and he's a little more sturdy, I think, in the middle. I mean, you know, he's a better fit to kind of sit back and try and see it out. Um, you know, once the incredible event happened in a moment. But, I mean, look, they had a 93% pass rate. Ours is only 51% from the 71 on, which is just unbelievably bad. Uh, but the means probably more fit for that type of thing, and Andre was probably exhausted. But most importantly, we had a finally had a moment of magic in the 74th, which, I mean, just came completely out of nowhere, I would think. Utterly out of the blue. 71st minute, we win a free kick. Anthony Gordon lines up to take it. Really well hit, far post, Jared Branthwaite, full extension, hits it into the back of the net. The away end goes ballistic, as they should, and credit to the away fans, which we haven't awesome. even mentioned yet. Ryan had a great tweet about it. They were incredible. You could hear him on the TV broadcast all night, singing, cheering. And Alex and I went to Stanford Bridge, and I remember when we were there, and it was a painful, <laughs> painful match to attend. <laughs> but even though we were getting battered, the Chelsea fans, I mean, the bridge was a dead. It was so quiet. I was really kind of very underwhelmed with, with the Chelsea home support. But this was a great goal. Great to see the youth connecting with the youth, getting us back into the game. And leading up to the goal, and even a little bit after, things really kind of opened up in a way that was bizarre. I mean, we still had basically the same amount of possession, but we were actually able to get forward. Chelsea, I think in transition, were struggling a little bit. Um, we had some breakaways that were wasted. The infamous, uh, which will now be infamous, Alex Iwobi, non-pass non to Decore. There were a couple other opportunities. But we did. it did feel like we may be able to nick one, and then we did. But then it was like, okay, well, it's 1-1. I don't know. I didn't know what would happen, but it felt like that would be short-lived as well. Yeah, and you know, something we actually failed to mention on the last podcast was the fact that Jared Branthwaite had just signed a contract extension. My, mind you, this is post-Marcel Brands leaving the club, so it's kind of interesting how that works out. Who approved it? I have no idea, but I'm glad they did because it's important to note that was his first goal for Everton. Contract I'm sure days, it was in baby. the works. I mean, I'm sure it was in the <laughs> works, um, but... The other concern, though, is Dobbin, who I do think made a, a difference and seemed a little more comfortable than his other performance or appearance, although it was very short-lived. He's someone who has not signed, and I think he can sign in January with someone. Um, not starting in January, but I think he can go for free in the summer. So, I mean, obviously you get uh, solidarity payments, work, you know, training comp, but that's not going to be much for a guy that's clearly got some talent. Um, so that is that is concerning. But, yeah, it's interesting. We didn't mention it. And obviously he is a talent for sure. He, he, you know, I still think he'd be better off getting a chance to play in the championship. He had some decent moments last year, too. I think it was at Blackburn. So he got some good time, even though he was there because they had injuries. 
But anyway, it was great to see him him fill in. I don't know if we're going to see this three center half kind of group, but we'll talk about the youth movement in, in a second here. So let, let's kind of step back and kind of summarize the match here. I mean, my take is, and I said at the beginning, we were very lucky here. I mean, 23 shots from Chelsea. Only three of them were blocked, so we had like 10 off target. Um, despite not that many outside the box. I mean, they, they beat a 7-1 to in corners. Infogol had the XG at 3.49 to 0.64 from Everton. Virtually all of it was on the goal. Um, the other chances were like 0. 0.02, 0. 0.01. Um, and, and look, I, I, I actually think that XG from Everton is going to end up being too high when Statsbomb's better model comes out. But look, I went and looked back. I looked at Understat just because it's easier to go back. I tried to find, I think Understat had it at 3.2 goals against. I tried to find a match where we had a higher XGA, you know, goals against us. I literally couldn't find one until I got to 2017-2018's fateful season. So I have a hard time dealing with a lot of people saying this was some deserved win or anything other than a lot of fortune. I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I'm thrilled that we won. It was a great result. But how can you... I mean, if it's the worst XGA, objectively speaking, since 2000, early 2018... And, and none of these were penalties that have, you know, the real high XG that goes with it. That's an outrageous total. And you can't sit there and say, we really stuck in on defense. We did not play good defense. I'm sorry. We didn't. And there are reasons for that. And they're kids. And, you know, you got to cut them a little bit of a break. But I, I just, I'm sorry. I'm not going to accept the fact that it's hard for me to also come back and say all these individuals played these incredible defensive matches when we were getting shelled and they were picking us apart. So that's just my take. That's the summary. And that's what I saw. Um, and of course, you know, Tim Bridal had a funny comment, knew I would say something like that, I think. Yeah, he said, this pod is going to be hilarious. Ryan Soccer AA, absolutely dumbfounded for multiple reasons, I'm sure. I mean, I'm not dumbfounded because this happens. That's the nature of the sport, and that's why some of the statistical analysis we use is to try and give you a better picture. I mean, when you walk out of a match and say, boy, we, we didn't deserve that, or man, we deserved better, that's all that means. And that's all that means, you know, that they had a way more chances than we do, a way more high quality chances. And we nicked one, like you said, smash and grab when you tweeted it out on, on the USA Toffee pod. And look, we'll take it. You know, it's not every day you beat the uh, defending Champions League winners at their place, missing as many people as we did. But let's be honest, thankfully, they were missing a few people, too. Yeah. And I mean, I think. I think the result is what's important, obviously. One point, it doesn't do a whole lot of good. We're still sitting in 14th place, so it's really a non-starter in my opinion there. But I think what's really important is the intangible of 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 the confidence that we can take from getting a point at Stamford Bridge. I know that we didn't necessarily play well. We did not play good defense. That is an absolute accurate assessment. However, it's got to be pretty daunting for some of these guys, some of these senior players that are out right now that have been underperforming, to say the least, to see that they can plug in and get a 1-1 draw at Stamford Bridge. I'm just saying. I think that some of the players on the pitch can take some some sort of confidence from a result, just that it's possible. You don't tell me that you, you go to Stamford Bridge, you get a point on the road, and it doesn't at least help some. Running stats were through and, the roof as well. And I think, Ryan, like the, the narrative around thank this... Thank God for that. Yeah. Well, when you don't have the, when you have the ball and you, you know... 20%, 19, whatever, 19% of the time, and you are running around like headless chickens for most Norwich of the time. Norwich is running a lot right now, too. Great. Right. You're going to cover a lot of ground. I just think that maybe overly 
uh, favorable kind of characterization of this match from fans. A, we've stunk for months now. So to get any kind of result is good. B, the lineup we put out deserved to get beat 6 or 7 nil against that Chelsea lineup, even without four of their best players. And so you look back and you're like, okay, well, we got out of there with a point. I will take that. Saying it was a masterclass or that it was an unbelievable performance is so detached from reality, I almost have a hard time thinking people could believe it. But people react emotionally to football. It's kind of part of the, you know, part and parcel of the game and the fandom. So I understand it, even if it is perhaps misguided. But you know who did have an unbelievable performance? That is the brick wall per Indiana Evertonians, Jordan Pickford. Great tweet. He is England number one, at least we know, according to Everton Twitter. It was a, it was a cute tweet they they sent out. We know he's Everton's. I mean, England's number one. I and saw Everton's. That one too. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a funny tweet, you know, Indiana Evertonians with the brick wall sitting up there. Live look at Jordan Pickford. <laughs> and he was not just saves, but coming out of his net, being assertive. Um there were a couple that he maybe could have grabbed but didn't. Can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> just, yeah. Please. I mean, just every net he grabbed a couple. He he had he had a couple. I just think sometimes his choosing to punch is a little crazy sometimes punches have gotten better though even when he used to punch it and it was kind of weak and at least he's clearing them if nothing else but there was one where he was completely kind of unimpeded and he (laughs) just punched it for no real reason it seemed like it would have been a kind of easy grab but he was making some incredible stops the one where he got down to his right hand side on the post that was insane a couple diving ones on some shots from distance it was a, a certainly a very good performance from jordan pickford one of the best we've seen from him in a blue shirt Easily. Then we also had Derek, um, a longtime listener to the show and, and part of our Discord group, at Yes Derek. Pickford bas- back to his best and relished watching the babies play their hearts out. Pretty accurate assessment. Um, as we said, he had nine saves in total. But talking about a bad defensive performance, it did take a, ba- a, a while for the back line to get acclimated. We saw kind of um, less than a straight line in many uh, and many points during the match, we saw, you know, odd spacing, as we mentioned, Godfrey too, you know, too um, narrow in general. But I think it's safe to say Michael Keane had a really, really good performance. I think he did, too. I mean, he won four aerials, led the team. By the way, we're going to hear a lot of led the teams here. 79% pass rate, led the team. No bad touches or dispossessions, took care of the ball, led the team. Five clearances, led the team. Hey, there you go. Right. Three tackles, three interceptions. Led the team. Yeah, there you go. Two block shots led the team. Sorry, I'll save you that one. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought he stepped up very well and played the anchor. It's not the easiest position to play. Um, plus he had has some wild guys around him for heaven's sakes and a lot of inexperience. And I thought he he did pretty well. And then I think a big part of this match too is that youth definitely had a lot of opportunities. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jared Branthwaite came in under not easy circumstances and played quite well. Gordon now on several starts in a row seems to be. Uh, ingratiating himself with Rafa Benitez and in favor at the moment played quite well on the left. We didn't really attack much, but he did. He was aggressive in pressing in certain moments and winning the ball back. Um, Got to take set pieces. Sims was overwhelmed. As we already said, it was just out of his depth, tough, tough way to get your debut, honestly, against a tough opposition. And really we know that he's maybe not quite at the Premier league level just yet, but Lewis Dobbin looked like he was at least filled with confidence. He wanted to try certain things. A lot of it didn't come off, but fast, running against tired legs, 
very different profile from the other people we've seen playing the number nine. But he almost had a couple golden chances, and he looks like a, a talented youth player. So we talked about whether he'd be able to, whether he'll put pen to paper and sign a new deal. We have to obviously, for that to take place, offer him a clear pathway to the first team, and I don't know if that's going to exist, but this was really the first significant appearance we've seen from him, and who knows what it could mean, but time's running out to persuade him to stay. Yeah, and you know, just just to hit on Branthwaite again real quick, um, something I wanted to bring up, and, and I kind of forgot this about him, but he's a pretty decent long passer of the ball. He's got pretty good vision from the back, and I think we saw numerous times where he went for the long switch to the right. Um, he went for a couple long balls on the left as well. So that was, that was pretty important. Usually you see Michael Keane is that guy for us. Um, so that's, that's a positive, especially since he's a left footer. Yeah. I don't think, but too we many had a tweet came off, but like, he's almost, no, no, he's they almost didn't come both off, footed, but... honestly, Alex, like he's left footed. Right. But I remember when I scouted him and looked at him, uh, before when he was in division two, we, I couldn't figure out if he was righty or lefty. Honestly, it was, it was that hard. So that, that is encouraging. That is a feature of him. And how about his pace too? I think uh, people, we know yeah. from listening to people talk about how fast he is straight ahead, but I, I think he showed some of that athleticism as well. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, I also think, I also think he has a little bit of the uh, Yeri Mina build in the sense that he is so big is. and his strides are so long. He doesn't look as quick as he is. Um, but either way, so, so we had a tweet from James Gardner at JR Gardner 91, huge point away at a top three team. Maybe Rafa will realize that the youngsters do have something to offer if given the chance. So I've got a question for you, gentlemen. Do we think we will see more of, you know, the Sims, Dobbins, Branthwaite's, Oyangos, based on this performance, do we think it might be involvement just based on injuries moving forward? What do you think about that, James? I'm thinking I don't want myself, and if other people want to, fine. I don't want to get too carried away with what we saw today. Saw some young kids thrown into the deep end, and they didn't drown. So I think that's encouraging in some respects. Do I think it means that Jared Branthwaite is now our second best center back behind Yuri Mina and needs to start week in, week out? Does it mean I think Ellis Sims is better than Solomon Rondon? It does not. I do not feel that way. I don't think that's accurate. I think Rafa Benitez would agree. I think this was a hopefully a one-off in that we're playing this many kids at once. But I do think that there's something to be said for giving these kids a chance late in games to change something, to provide some stability in midfield, in the case of maybe a Tyler Onyango. But there's the injury situation at Everton right now is unprecedented. And I have a hard time looking at this and saying, yeah, this means that we just need to put the whole U23s in as the first team. And as some have said on our Discord, sell everybody else and just let the kids play. The center forward situation today was rare. I mean, we haven't seen that before. Last year, we had the midfield situation where literally Tom Davies was the only healthy central <laughs> midfielder out of six. So we have seen it's I wouldn't say it's unprecedented, but it's pretty heavy. Um, I, I think Sims is clearly overwhelmed. I, I think uh, it's a tough start. I agree, but I think he'd be better off going out on loan. Uh, Blackpool, I know, I think is interested again in the second half of the year. I think that's a good fit. Um, Dobbin's tough. I mean, if he doesn't sign the deal, no. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what you do there. Uh, apparently, the first offer is still out there and wasn't great. So I know the Athletic are all over that. So I would go check out, see what Patty says about it, because I think he's on top of it. Grantwaith is hard. Um, you know, he has some physical tools that other people don't have, but I still think he's incredibly raw. I would like to see him playing game in, game out at a higher level. 
personally. Championship would be great, uh, depending on the situation. I think we've got enough numbers out there unless we send someone out in January, which isn't entirely impossible, I wouldn't say. Um, Onyango, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Just haven't seen him play play quite enough. But, yeah, I think people are getting a little carried away here, guys. I mean, they're playing because a lot of people are out. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. I would hope people aren't suggesting that, you know, any of those folks should be playing over others, starting over others, assuming, you know, a mostly fit starting 11. But, you know, I think it's fair to say that we saw numerous matches so far this season in which things got stale, specifically on the wing, you know, with the likes of whoever you want to list there in multiple matches. And we're screaming out, why is Dobbin not getting 15 minutes on the left or right? You know, does, is that, is that, you know, that, is that something that can be considered further now? You know, Rafa did not even give, I think, I think they said that Dobbin had three minutes in the PL prior to this match. And the next thing you know, he gets 30. You know, I'm not, I don't think anyone would suggest that he should start, but, you know. Well, I'll just say this. If we're playing in the same lineup for any sustained period of time, on the same time, uh, the same time on the pitch, Ellis Sims, um, Anthony Gordon, I know he played well today, but I mean, let, let's be honest, he's not been the greatest contributor. Um, I'm excited for his prospect going forward. I think it was good to see him left to play in a, a more vertical role. I think that's his bread and butter. That's how he should be played, cutting inside too. He's a danger. He can crack a shot. If we see Dobbin, um, Onyango, Sims, Gordon... Brantwaith, all on the pitch at the same time for sustained periods of time. I'm telling you right now, that's you. I mean, that you're going down. Like we won't go down now because we're <laughs> enough points above. But if you started out the season playing those guys most of your minutes, you're finishing last. Literally, there's I'm just, not kidding. There's just no shortcut for these guys to skip over playing in lower divisions. You don't just it's go too big from a gap, the, guys. You right? don't it's go just, from the U23s to starting no. in the Premier League. No one no. does that. No, and look at, very rarely does it happen. And just look at the numbers. I mean, you know how many kids out there at age 18 or 19 are playing significant minutes in the Premier League? Almost none. Like, really low numbers. And almost anyone that has, has spent some time on loan at a higher level to prove themselves. It's just, that's not how it works, you know? And uh, Dobbin's a concern, because you need a pathway for him. And there's some talk of maybe affiliation deals or getting better places to send people on loan, like some of the other bigger clubs are. But, yeah, I mean, people just got to be realistic. I, I, I think you make a really good point, James, in that we need to kind of hold our horses a little bit. Let's not, because what happens if Gordon now continues to play kind of like he was before and doesn't keep up this performance? That's okay. You know, he's young. He's talented. He's capable of some of these things, but he's going to be inconsistent. If Jared Brantwaite, I've seen him play that if we hadn't played in a four and he has a bad game, I mean, he will get absolutely torched. He's playing in a three. I think that played to his strengths tonight you know he could sit back mostly everything was in front of him uh I, I just think people need to chill and relax you know let these guys develop uh and again though it's hard to say because we don't have a director of football to kind of supervise the overall development and i don't know how much confidence people have are we going to continue on with this style of play indefinitely god forbid we do but if we do i mean things are different they weren't bought under this style of play He's a more expansive player than that. You know, his raw talent should be one that's developed in a different system, frankly. I mean, I, I don't know. You're going to learn to deal with the ebbs and flows in the Premier League, but I don't want us to play like this every week. Heavens no. Absolutely not. But we will certainly see how the situation develops. And, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think people have a hard time coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, you play all the kids, you go down. That's just kind of 
what I mean, unless they're world class youngster. I mean, right. And some of these guys could emerge and be really good. That doesn't mean we're writing them off. No. And it was good exactly. to see some of the things that we saw tonight. It was yes. encouraging. But let's not. I mean, we you know we still got pelted. <laughs> yes, exactly. So let's keep it moving here. We have uh, David Molyneux at DMX five five one said, "Hope is renewed." Gordon Branthwaite Keen were superb. We play well in a low block. The only way to play against these kind of teams. Good tactics, Rafa from David Molyneux. Not sure how much uh, sympathy you'll get from us here on well, ATP, but I think he's right. Hey, in the circumstances. Oh, I don't think we said. I saw Ryan tweeted. Yeah, I don't think Ryan we played. tweeted. He agreed with the tactics from Rafa. I, I had no problem with the setup. I knew it would take some time for us to kind of gel a little bit. I don't think we played well within the setup. But given the limitations that we had, I mean, it wasn't crazy. You know, yeah, what I mean, else And- were we supposed to do? Right. Andre, who may have been the one choice that I looked at, I was like, really? Like, because they're just going to go right down that side and bypass him. And look, we were lucky, guys. I don't know what to say. We got pelted. But ultimately, I had no problem necessarily with the setup considering what's available. So, but I'm not going to say kudos to Rafa because we still look disorganized. <laughs> yeah. And then we, and then we also had Everton tweeter at Tweeter Everton. Was that Gordon's best game? Some great hold up play and that cross. Mature performance. I want to be honest, gentlemen. I think it probably was his best game for Everton in general. Um, it's important to know, right? Second most touches behind Pickford. So it's definitely not, you know what I mean? That's that's pretty nuts, um, especially as you're, you know, kind of wide midfield player. He had some good defense, though, too. Two tackles, interception, three clearances. Uh, one to key pass. I'm assuming that was for his assist. Right. I mean, he didn't create much other than the set piece. But I, I, that's you can't really hold that against him. I mean, that's how we were set up. You know what I mean? And and I actually thought his first touch was really good. I, I've seen that kind of go to pieces at times this year under pressure. And I think that's an easy thing to point to and say the game's a little too fast for him. It's a little too physical for him. Tonight, I felt like he looked stronger on the ball. Um, most of the stuff is being played backwards again. But he wasn't losing the ball, you know, and, and the numbers indicated that as well. Yeah, I thought he was good today, tonight. But how he fares in a maybe more expansive setup or a match where we don't have... We have less than one-fifth of the ball. We have maybe slightly more than that. How does he do against a Burnley? Remains to be seen. And again, I just don't want us to put the weight of expectation, the weight of the world on this kid's shoulders, and then be extremely frustrated and angry when it, he has a be- run a bad form. You have to take the good with the bad, and you're going to get bad when it's a kid's this young and just getting acclimated to the Premier League. Well, let's talk about the bad now. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious there was bad all over the pitch in terms of being dominated, um, even if there are some good storylines. You know, several individuals just didn't didn't see the ball much or gave it away a lot. Uh, Reasonably speaking, we were under pressure every time we had it, and we already packed in, so I don't know how much you can expect. Um, I don't think a Wobie played particularly well, although he worked really hard on defense. I mean, he had five bad touches. That's too many. Um, again, you know, we're under pressure. I, I, I don't know if he had better touches, who he was going to pass it to <laughs> ultimately. Ducore, probably. Ducore, when he was in on well, goal. Well, yes, that's the one people could argue, and I don't know what Alex is seeing on argue. that play. He had a good insert, you know, inlet through ball to Dobbin, you know, after that, and Dobbin didn't shoot, so I don't know what to say about that, but he did play good defense, and you know, we didn't really attack on the right side. I mean, John Joe had one shot, that he piked over the net. And John Joe actually can serve a ball all right, but we weren't just we just weren't set up 
set up to do that. I, I frankly think DeCorey did not play well. A lot of people said they thought he did. He was combative, but he was wasteful when he got the ball, lost it several times when I don't think he was under pressure and could have made a difference. He had one missed back heel that would have been, now granted, Awobi probably puts it in the stands, but like would have been a borderline tap-in. I think Alex Awobi might have even scored that one. You know, really. And, and that would have been, and that was a big, big chance. The ball just never got to him. It was really poor. Um, and then Andre did not. Other than a moment or two where he knocked people over that probably should have been fouls and carried the ball forward once or twice, which he can do, I, I don't think he played very well. And it seemed like he was the guy that they really focused a lot of their attack and exploited very often in, in the final third. Yeah, Gomez not the best. On Alex Awobi, I mean, people will point to that pass and they'll point to when he tried to draw that foul and just didn't get the call and, and flopped and he, he wasn't clinical in possession. I won't say he played well. I thought he was poor. Gomez poor. DeCore also made that run forward, loses the ball, which actually ends up resulting in Chelsea's goal on the opposite end. He was up and down a lot. He always runs his butt off, but not to great effect tonight, unfortunately. But, and we could go through everyone and nitpick their entire performance, but let's talk. Do we do man of the match for a draw? I think that's the that's the custom here, so... I know there's one guy who's obvious for me. I've heard some other shouts. I won't do it. I'll give it to Alex first to give his man of the match, and I have a feeling he's going to steal it, but that's fine. I'll, I'll allow it. I don't know if this one can really be stolen or not, <laughs> but I'm going to go have to go with the obligatory uh, Jordan Pickford. Uh, he kept us in the match after the first 10 minutes. So it's got to be Pickford for me. What about you, Ryan? Pickford, no question. All right, it's a unanimous Jordan Pickford, JP, one from the ATP boys. Now we look ahead, and of course, if you don't know already, Everton were scheduled to play Leicester City on Sunday. That game has been postponed, as have a bunch of other Premier League matches. It seems like COVID is rearing its ugly head yet again. We just can't be rid of this stupid, stupid virus, and the UK is reacting especially harshly, cutting down attendance. We may end up with matches behind closed doors again, which I would hate to see. But you look at our next five fixtures, assuming that those continue to be played. We got Burnley, Newcastle, Brighton, and Hove Albion, just one team. Norwich and Aston Villa. So a much more favorable run of games. The Leicester match would have been kind of the end of this death run that we were on that everyone was really terrified about at the start of December. If we're able to get a little bit of time off and get healthy... There is a platform there for Everton to perhaps start picking up some points and remain firmly mid-table as we inevitably will do. So I want to get your thoughts on what the next uh, few matches might look like. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it's a blessing in disguise for us. I think, I genuinely think, um, you know, part of the team selection today had, you know, Rafa probably had his sight sets on the fact that we played again in three days. Um, you know, Leicester definitely... a a lesser team compared to Chelsea in general, although still a tough task. I mean, as you said, we have so many injuries. Now is the time we rest up. I think it gives Rafa also a little bit more time to work with the players on systems, spacing, you know, pressing all the things that we constantly harp on, on the podcast. Um, you know, the, I think the key though, I seriously think the key is does Everton come out the gate after an extended break, however extended it is, and start off fast or not. 
because I'm going to be honest, I feel that as an Everton fan, you know, and as an easy example, international breaks, we always say, ah, great, international breaks. If we can get everyone healthy, it'll be a great springboard. Come back in two weeks' time. And then we inevitably see Everton start off slow as possible, as is type. So I think that'll be the key, and it'll be interesting to see. Getting healthy would be great, and I'm not saying that that wouldn't be very, very helpful. Of course it would be. But, I mean, we just had the highest expected goals against number um, in the last five years, all from open play, and we got completely and utterly dominated by Crystal Palace a couple days ago. So I'm not sure why anyone would suddenly feel this incredible surge of optimism, especially under this guy. Uh, he's alienated one of our very best players. Um, I don't know who's next. Um, it, it is a pattern of his. I think the football is terrible to watch. I don't think it's very exciting for younger players. And my concern is that we don't have anyone, if he's going to buy anyone in January with the longer term viewpoint. And I do not want to buy players or spend anything significant to play specifically in this setup because I think it's limited. And I think if we were to ever go in a more intelligent direction, I think whoever brings it in is going to have different requirements in their tactical system. That's why we need to name a director of football until we do that. I'm very concerned in the short term as well, too, because this guy's still not setting us up very well, despite a little bit of a promise in terms of setup, even if the execution was poor. Some of that's understandable because people haven't done it a whole lot. But no, I, I don't have all the other teams are going to have the time to to coach and set up as well. And, and unfortunately, I'm concerned that this coach is going to be too busy dealing with transfer business and stuff rather than doing what he should be doing. And that's coaching the first team because that's what other clubs do. Pep is not sitting there overly concerned about who they're bringing in in January. He's managing their team. So, no. Well, he's got a pretty good team to manage at, at the moment, to be well, fair. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. But you know what? I'd rather talk to Kevin De Bruyne, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that is all true, and I agree. But if you think that he's going to come up with some tactical master class, we haven't seen any evidence of that so far this year. Fair enough. And I want to touch on just quickly as we wrap up here. We did a post-match Twitter space, as I mentioned at the top of the last episode. We had a bunch of people from the Discord and others come in and chime in. I wanted to give a shout-out to Cryptus, Josh from our Discord, who made a really good comment, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but I got his essential, essentially the sentiment down here. He said basically that Rafa threw a Hail Mary lineup together today and got incredibly lucky. This could have gone really badly, and somehow it didn't. But that doesn't mean that he's the man to take us forward or someone that we should consider giving money to in January. Now, with that said, my devil's advocate counterpoint is we need to get players in. There's no question about it. Improve the squad. And there's no other person at the club at the moment who has really any experience besides Bill Kenwright doing transfers. And that's scary because you give this guy money. Presumably right now, Rafa's is reporting directly to the board. There's no one above him to report to as there should be. And as Marcel brands would have been that guy. And then you look at the board and it's the bare minimum number of people required for a football board. We have three people on the board right now. Supposedly the CEO, Denise Barrett Baxendale is looking for work elsewhere. So the stability of the club and the infrastructure is, is really empty and then you look at okay well we have rafa benitez we lost our chief scout we lost our chief recruiter there's no one really with any kind of knowledge there except rafa and so it seems like farhad is elected to go in this direction it's really frightening just really scary to see what what could potentially happen yeah i mean i think i think we're at the point in time in which the only thing we can hope for are 
are smart buys, smart investments, and, and ideally not maxing out our, our possible spend based on you know po any possible outgoings and, and wiggle room we, we may have based on you know previous outgoings as well. Yeah, I think we have a great comment, I think, in the Discord, and it summarizes a lot. I mean, the rumor is that we're you know, making the move from Myelenko and Dean would be out in January. Just using that as a scenario, like you said, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think this is a really good quote. Yeah, we had S. Khan from the Discord. He said, I have so many questions about Mikolenko. We're going to say his name like two dozen different times, ways probably. Mikolenko, and who is scouting him slash found him without a director of football? Was it Rafa? Was it Contract Dave? Was it Moshiri? Was it Kia? Why do we always love to sign players for $20 million or more? Why are we signing a left back and not a right back? And he ends it with, ugh. I think those are all very fair questions and the type of questions that Evertonians deserve answers to because the lack of transparency continues to be a major, major problem. And it's not going to fill anyone with confidence unless you clarify exactly what's happening. And even then, if we know, okay, if there's like Rafa's doing everything... That's just going to make everyone even more scared and more upset. Yeah. I mean, you know, all those points we've talked about and just the 20 million figure is extremely alarming. Like, like we, we spent a total of 2 million in the summer, but we're just going to drop 20 mil on a random left back from Ukraine in January. I don't know. Um, I don't know if that passes the smell test for me, but I would be extremely alarmed by that. Alone. Well, I think what I'm also concerned about it is, is, you know, Sean's uh, cons, point is you know talking about kia like if george Shabin's a guy that's brokering these deals that's dangerous you know i mean i know that's who he's going to look and, and advise him i mean that's ultimately who moshiri used to advise him to hire rafael benitez and that was i think just a regardless what you think about rafael benitez as a manager it was a very illogical hire on many different levels and you ignored your football people to do it so i just don't think that's the right way that a, a club needs to operate i'm still in hopeful, optimistic, stupidly, probably that we might actually bring in a director of football. Um, but again, you know, we talked about this all last episode, no reason to rehash it, you know, wh whether we can bring one or not in great place to end the episode. Thank you very much, everyone for sticking with us and for listening to this show. We appreciate you very much. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find all of the links at link tr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's L I N K tr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. Also, you should definitely join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP, a fantastic Everton community. It's free. It's some Get some great back and forth. You can argue with Ryan for hours on end because he will always, always engage. I jest, but we do have some really constructive dialogues and some really interesting conversations, and there's some really well-reasoned and thoughtful people in there and some people who just want, you know, the club to liquidate, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, thanks again, and until next time, up the toffees.